Hello and welcome to the Life Together podcast, where we share in meaningful conversation about living for Christ and loving one another. Thanks for joining today, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hey, everyone. Uh, If you were listening to the last episode and you feel like it got kind of cut short or ended abruptly, that's because it was part one of a podcast that I did with Philip Russell. Uh, The conversation was just so good that it went on for uh, so long that I decided probably be better better to split it up into two separate ones. So uh, what you're listening to now is part two of what uh, has already been released. Um, and in this episode, we get into things about the importance of family and some of the challenges that families face at the start of a new school year, and then how to be a light within each of the uh, different environments that we might find ourselves in. Um, it was really encouraging to me, um, and I hope that you'll find it helpful as well. Well, that kind of leads into a discussion of family, right? So we've talked about the challenges of students and of educators. Um, how how do we think about this in the context of a family, right? There's School is just inherently busy. A lot of people have kids involved in sports and other extracurricular activities. On top of that, we've got church and Bible classes to get ready for. And it's just, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And so I think the, the problem, the challenges are pretty apparent as, as families, but what does it look like to accept that invitation to, to embrace and, uh, and shoulder life in the way that Jesus invites us to here by taking his yoke on? Yeah, so there's a there's a paradox like the book title that you talked about with Kyle, the ruthless elimination of hurry. Like it it takes something ruthless to slow down, and I think it takes fierce pursuit to live out the easy yoke that Jesus talks about in in Matthew 11. So again, something that Sarah and I have experienced the last couple of years. It's not necessarily. Like here are three quick fixes in your life is going to be easy, but I think it is so worth it to make sure that we're living this out. And one thing that you brought up earlier, kind of in a hypothetical, is a family dinner. I I look back on my childhood and remember so many times dad being in the kitchen as mom got home getting us ready and my brother and I getting home from maybe extracurriculars or finishing up some homework and then the four of us sitting down together at the dinner table and my parents asking probing questions about what was happening during during the school day and usually not letting us get away with the what did you learn at school today nothing what did you do at school today nothing and asking what we were doing, what we were involved in, what we were thinking about our classes. And in the in the book that you and Kyle talked about, there is a quote that says, the anchor point for our family's life is the table. And I think that is a beautiful endeavor for our families here with young kids, 
even just husbands and wives. And even this gets, I know this gets tricky, but even college students who are maybe moving in with roommates, having a routine of sitting down to a family dinner to unite around a meal and talk about life, I think is a really beautiful way to live into that easy yoke. And there's even research that suggests we are our happiest selves when we are gathered around a table eating really good food with people we love. Mm. And so if you can embed that into your family's routine, I think I think something really special can come from that. And I think there's something sacred about that as well. Yeah, well, you use the word sacred. I mean, that was the first step in God liberating mm-hmm. Egypt or <laughs> Israel from Egypt, from their bondage. It's, hey, share a meal, share this Passover meal with your family. And in the morning, you'll be free. And, and there, so there is something sacred about that. And, and then, you know, um, so many of those festivals all throughout the Old Testament, they're, you know, I don't know, we think of them as like so like formal and rigid maybe, but like you could think of it as kind of like a, a party. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a barbecue, right? <laughs> you, you slaughter the calf, you you know, kill the animals and you cook them and you share this big festal gathering and there's a celebration and joy around a table. And then what do we see all throughout the life of Jesus? He's constantly eating and drinking with people, Mm -hmm. sharing down, having a meal, and slowing life down in the presence of the people that he loves. And I love the point you made about doing that with college students. This is something that I feel like I really missed. Uh, You know, when when I was at um, FC, I would go to the cafeteria, you know, um, so freshman, sophomore, junior year. Senior year, I lived off campus, and I didn't get a meal pass. I thought, well, why do I need that? You know, I don't want to waste money. And I quickly realized how isolated I felt Mm -hmm. when I wasn't sitting down and sharing a meal with people. And even here in Bowling Green, I don't like, I'm not, I'm not trying to garner sympathy or anything like that, but like, I've realized, you know, like, you know, we've, me, Jason and Connor, we've got like different schedules and, um, and I think like, I don't know, just hearing that, that's like really practical for me. I'm like, oh man, I think I need to, I think I need to implement that because I always think about it in terms of family, but oh, that's so important. And like for any college students or young adults who are listening, like I think that's such a a gift, not just thinking into your future with a family, yeah. but right now. And I think what meal. comes from that can be like a deeper knowledge of what our students are actually experiencing and what those in your closest orbit are actually experiencing if you don't have, if you don't have kids, which I think, then there can be a link between eating together and praying together. Like at at family dinner, you might hear about really difficult things that your child is facing at school. Or what might happen more frequently is your kid is hearing about the challenges that their friends, their friends' families are facing. And that can be a beautiful opportunity as a family to join in intercessory prayer 
in very specific ways, not that just your kid would have a good school year, but praying over specific friends and their families and teachers because kids learn the life experiences of their educators throughout throughout the school year. So letting letting the family dinner kind of be home base for the family. And then I think from that family prayer life can become something that I think routine and like a liturgical rhythm to a day is a beautiful thing, but it can be something more than just a prayer to bless the meal and a prayer to help me get a good night's sleep. It can be actually engaging with God in a way that like we're praying for his kingdom to come in very specific ways. And I think that's, it's a really beautiful precedent for, for our kids and can teach our kids something powerful about prayer. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And with that, I think this is interesting. I was talking with, uh, it was actually Brian Goff. Um, we were talking about an idea kind of related to that and, uh, he brought up the idea of spiritual formation or the spiritual disciplines being not so much about making time for God, but bringing God into your time, mm-hmm. or maybe we could say inviting God mm-hmm. into your time. And I think that's exactly what you're getting at with this, with the with the sacredness of the dinner table, of the family table, gathering around and not just thinking, okay, we said the prayer, now we've done the God thing. It's like, no, the family table is the God thing. Invite him into that space. And through these conversations, invest in intercessory prayer uh, based on what's going on in everyone's world. I, I love that. It does raise one question that I, I, I'm curious about. Um, I can imagine there's people listening who uh, are, are, are like, okay, well, I've got a teenager, and I'm struggling to even get them to open up at all. And honestly, our family dinners, I mean, they're great and all, but they're kind of quiet. And sometimes, I don't know, we're just at this awkward stage in life where we're just not maybe opening up in the ways that we want. Like, how, how do you, how do you initiate that? Like, maybe if that's not like a rhythm of your life already as a family, or you have maybe kids who, you know, aren't, aren't as interested or engaged in that or willing to open up. Do you have maybe from a counseling perspective or just with your students, you know, do you, do you have an idea for how to create a more open environment around that family table? Patience would be, would be the big one. So like from a, from a counseling perspective, someone doesn't walk into the office for the first time and it's like, all right, right now, tell me your deepest secrets. Tell me the worst part of your life. Tell me about your capital T trauma that you've experienced. (laughs) Like there's something, there's an alliance that's formed throughout, throughout that process. And if family dinner or these kind of conversations aren't normal, then start small. Like how was your day? And most of us know how school days go. So we can at least ask probing questions to get the general picture of the school day. And I think letting that become a routine. And then when the family starts getting comfortable narrating days back and forth, that's when those stories, those instances that the family wants to pray about will start coming to 
the surface. But again, it's not like we never have family dinner and all of a sudden we're going to sit down and have a deep conversation five nights a week, seven nights a week if you're doing if you're doing all seven nights. So I think patience would be a big thing. But then to be in the habit of meeting every night or maybe it's five nights a week, like we're saying Monday through Friday, no matter what happens at 6, 30, 7 o'clock, like we're together at the family table when that becomes what the family does, I think that you'll see kind of a natural softening to that and an opening from the, from everybody at the table. Yeah. Yeah. So, so patience and patience, maybe not just over a, 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 the course of a week or even months, Mm -hmm. but developing this rhythm as, as a core part of your family life where it becomes just the, the expectation and then maybe even patience within a single Mm -hmm. conversation you know it might take a while to get things going yeah silence is uncomfortable but it's okay and it's good yes really good yeah i mean to kind of pivot away from this one of the one of the things that made me know my relationship with sarah was different from any other relationship i had in the past was sitting in silence with her, not doing anything and feeling content and like, this is where I want to be. And I haven't experienced that now when I go home with my parents, even on a three, three day trip up to see my parents, I might not, we might not have enough conversation to fill all three days, all day, every day of the trip. But there is something special about just sitting together. Like that proximity is is good and it's what a lot of our students need as some of them will be experiencing loneliness and isolation throughout the day if they can experience that safe space of a family table something good can come from that yeah i think so and one other thing that came to mind is i heard someone talk about the kinds of questions we asked one time i think it was like a ted talk Mm -hmm. and they were like how do you get your kid to talk to you it was something about that and they talked about how how important the question you ask is. So so maybe not always asking how was your day, where it's just this simple good or bad question right. where they're probably always gonna say, It's fine, it's good. Mm-hmm. Why are you asking? You know, but asking something like who who do you look up to the most among your teachers? Mm-hmm. Or hey, who do you feel most connected with at school? Um Ask, trying to ask interesting questions that aren't the basic, how was your day or what's your favorite subject? You know, those are fine questions, but if you're, if you're trying to get people to open up, it may be helpful to think about what's a more interesting question that evokes more than a one word response Mm -hmm. or that brings a follow-up question with it or something like that, that can really engage things. And then the other thing I'd say is like, um, uh, I don't know. I found around my family table growing up, it was like somehow the conversation always got back to something in scripture. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up talking about that. It's like having a talking point within scripture. Maybe it's about a sermon that Lawrence preached. Maybe it's about what y'all are learning in Bible class. Maybe it's the weekly Devo but having kind of a talking point that is a springboard into that that dinner conversation mm-hmm. that kind of sets the tone and creates that 
sacred atmosphere of, you know, God's right here with us in this moment, and he's sharing life together with us, and here's this part of his word that's speaking into our story right here and right now. Um, so anyway, yeah. And I, I think that's, that's really good. I can imagine that there are, there are families who are listening to this and thinking like, we simply don't have time. And I think that would probably be the last, the last idea that I have. Like, how do you pursue the easy yoke of Jesus as a family, family dinner, real time in prayer, and then a spirit of Sabbath, which the word became a noun, but you can use it as a verb and it means stop. There, there are likely routines, events, even extracurriculars that might be taking up an undue amount of time for our families. And I think as followers of Jesus, and this goes back to the discussion about educators figuring out balance in their life. It matters for our middle schoolers and high schoolers as they're trying to figure out what they want to be involved in. We have to say no. And I think we desperately need time, routine time every week to just stop and to be together as as a family, which again, brings about more challenges to try to figure out when that will be. But I think the benefits of them will be will be so great. Sarah and I have established this in in our house the last few the last few months and I love it. I love that on Sundays I'm not gonna look at my phone. I'm not gonna look at any kind of screen really. I'm gonna be there just with Sarah and Lydia together. And on a Sunday we're also gonna be together with our church family in some some capacity. So figuring out what that looks like in in your family can be really good. And just to encourage to encourage our families, it is difficult, but I think part of what it and you referenced this earlier, Jarrett, part of what it means to follow Jesus is to say no to lesser things so we can say yes to more ultimate things like real love and shared experiences as a family and a real pursuit of the presence of God together as a family. Mm. I love that. So much about the start of the year, I think, is about doing. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? What am I going to change? And not just the start of a school year, but the start of a, of a new year, yeah. a new new year, you know, where it's like we make these checklists, you know, we've have these resolutions as school gets started. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And a lot of times even adding good things like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to wake up and have an hour of prayer and Bible study. I'm going to have the golden hour before I start my day. Um, and so we just pile up this massive to-do list. And I don't know. I wonder if like what we really need is a year of undoing. We just kind of undo some things where we we just decide, okay, like you said, I'm going to, I'm going to stop. I'm going to hit the brakes on some things and it might be hard. Mm -hmm. It might mean I have to have some difficult conversations with my spouse. Like we share in together and make this decision together. I might have to have difficult conversations about my, with my kids about what activities we have to step back from. But ultimately I think the, the, the overwhelming evidence is that the way that 
maybe the typical American family is living is not spiritually sustainable. Mm-hmm. And what's going to give, you know, um, maybe what we need is, is a year of, of undoing. Yeah. And I think the what we need to hold on to as a church family, if there are people who are really pursuing this, is the fact that we are loved. Mm. Because I think some of us, when we're not busy, and this might be a personality, like the shadow side of a personality type, but we wonder if in moments of quiet and in moments of not doing anything, does God actually love me? I heard a quote that just wrecked me recently. And this person in their lesson said, sometimes it's easier to feel like you're useful than to feel like you're loved. Oh, wow. And that that just cut straight to my heart. The starting point for us as followers of Jesus is not that we have like a baptized to-do list. It's that we are loved by the Father. He has spoken over us, beloved. And then that's the starting point of everything that we do and should be evident in all that we do, including as a family and the activities that we're engaging with um, in school, in extracurriculars, together, when everybody gets home in the evening. Yeah, I think that's why having a a spirit of Sabbath is ultimately so important. It's not resting for the sake of resting, and it's not resting so you can go out and work again. That's the wrong way of thinking about it. It's resting so that you can embrace, Mm -hmm. or as Jesus said, abide in my love as the as as the father's loved me so i have loved you and he says abide in my love and that's that's what this spirit of sabbath is about mm-hmm. and i know a family a, a, a gentleman who um he he described how they have practiced the sabbath as a family uh and he talks about how he doesn't shave on the on on their sabbath and he, they don't make the beds or anything. And the reason that they do that is to remind them that even when I look like this, even when my house looks like this, even when things aren't exactly in order and I'm not being useful, I'm still loved by God and he still loves me this much. And that's a beautiful spirit to embrace and embody as a family. And imagine, right? Imagine if... That's the message that your child got from the time they were little all the way growing up, that it's not about uh, being useful. It's about abiding in love. And imagine how much more loved they would feel by you. You know, that can be confusing for children. You know, like you may do all these things to to show your love, you know, gift giving and time. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's just so cool. I love the way you put that. And that just made me think of so many different things and imagining a world where every kid, or let's just say, let's not get too big. Let's just imagine a lost river where every kid is growing up in a home where they're constantly reminded week by week to abide in God's love in this way through this spirit of Sabbath. And because the way that Jesus talks about that in his discourse with the disciples in John 14 through 17 is that's the way that we live fruitful lives is when everything we do is permeated Mm. by the love of God. That's how the kind of fruit he wants us to bear comes about. 
So I think what what we're experiencing as as a family right now and as an educator is that more more of my professional life now feels truly integrated into my spiritual formation than than it did before. And I know I know I don't have this completely completely figured out yet, but I think that's that's one of the big goals and one of the things that our family should be thinking about and talking about amongst themselves is how do we treat school, whether that's you're working at a school, you're sending kids off to public school or private school or doing school at home and in their co-ops, how do we make sure that it's not something that we have separate from our spiritual formation, it's not separate from our growth in Christ, our abiding in God's love, but it's perfectly integrated in it. Um, and there's a there's a C.S. Lewis quote that gets at this idea about about education and how it is education generally can be really powerful for us as followers of Jesus. It starts off kind of in his snarky tone. <laughs> he says, "God is no fonder." of intellectual slackers than any other slackers. If you are thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you that you are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. But fortunately, it works the other way around. Anyone who is honestly trying to be a Christian will soon find his intelligence being sharpened one of the reasons why it needs no special education to be a Christian is that Christianity is an education itself. I love that idea of God wants you, brains and all. Whatever form of education you might be engaged in, that is an area of life that can be permeated by the love of God and the spirit of God can use that to shape us more and more into the image of Jesus. Wow. That is so beautiful. Um, C.S. Lewis never never fails to <laughs> to put gospel truths in such a um, tangible way for us mm-hmm. to grab onto. Um, you talked about abiding and how when we abide in God's love and the love of Christ, that that bears fruit in the world. Um, and so you, I, I can imagine. You know, I'm imagining a scenario, right? A family's around the dinner table, and they're in that moment. It's like they're all abiding in the vine together, you know, and and then they start thinking about what's coming up tomorrow in the rest of the week, and the light that's in that room, that that's joyful, you know, the the ideal family table it starts mm-hmm. to, you start to feel the darkness of the world. You start to think about okay, but these, you know, you have these hard conversations and you mm-hmm. think about what's it, what is it like to, to be in school and to go back to work and it, to be this kind of dark environment and the question becoming, okay, we're abiding in Christ here as a family and then as a church family, but now how do we bear fruit in these places? Mm-hmm. Or the way that it's often talked about, you know, how, how do we shine our light? Um, what would you say... I guess especially to students mm-hmm. and to educators, when you think about them walking into a school building or being with their friends or surrounded by coworkers, 
how how do Christians really shine our light in these environments? So I I just have one idea that popped into my mind that I think is sounds simple, but it's not. It's to be kind, genuinely be kind to your classmates who you might not like, to the annoying coworkers, we know you have them, educators, <laughs> to the people you might not get along with, to people who have f- worldviews that are fundamentally at odds with our own. There's in, in our culture right now, there is a spirit of division and derision. And I think one of the best ways followers of Jesus can combat that is with just a deluge of kindness. Hmm. And I think if we do that in actionable, very real and tangible ways, both in from an educator's perspective and from a student's perspective, that stands out. It genuinely does in, in the school system because you'll see it. Other people will see it when they're watching our students actionably being kind to the people around them. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's such a great thought. Um, how kindness is the thing that really transforms the world. Um, and I, I I've shared this I shared this at Camp Forge, so this may be a familiar story to some people. And I've never actually confirmed whether this is true or not. I, I my dad told me this story a long time ago, and I don't know where he came across it, but. It's a story about a guy uh, named Kyle, and I think the other boy's name was, we'll just say Ben, because I can't remember his name. But anyway, these were two boys in uh, in high school, and um, Ben was more of like the sporty kid. He was very popular, well, well-loved and everything, um, and he was walking uh, the hall one day, and he turned the corner and saw... Kyle, who was known to be, I don't know, I guess he would maybe be stereotyped as the nerd or something like that. And these kids had run into him and his books just like completely just, you know, tossed in the air, fell out of his hands, all on the floor. And they all kind of started laughing. And and so Ben, he just felt crushed by that, seeing him, having compassion for him, and went over to him and just helped him kind of gather his things. And when he looked up, when they locked eyes, he could see like the tears Mm. in his eyes and not knowing what to say. He was just like, Hey, would you want to come and eat dinner with my family tonight? Which just thinking about this, but I mean, that fits so well with what we've been talking about. Who's like, why don't you come, come to my house and have dinner with my family? And from that night on, they became such good friends. Uh, They, you know, uh, ben kind of brought him into his friend group and helped him kind of find his own identity and own way through the challenging experiences of being a high school boy. And eventually they just became genuine friends. It wasn't just Ben helping this kid out. It was, they became close friends. And Kyle excelled so much that he actually uh, became the the valedictorian of this high school, and 
in his speech, he began to describe how appreciative he was of Ben. And he went on to tell everyone at this ceremony what was really happening that day when they first met in the hallway. And he explained that how the reason he was carrying all those books in his hands was because that night he was planning to end his life. And the worst thought that Kyle could imagine was for his mom to have to come to that school and get his books out of his locker. And he said, like, if it weren't for his now best friend, like, he would not even be there. And of course, from this other boy's perspective, like, it was just one small act of kindness, and it was something that he probably felt obligated to do. Um, but what a difference mm-hmm. that that ultimately made. And maybe that's an extreme example, uh, or maybe not. Who knows? But who knows what can happen through people simply being aware and observant, not of themselves, which is such an easy thing to do, especially as a high school kid, but being aware of the people around you and having the compassion to go out of your way to feel for them and the literal definition of compassion to suffer with them, Mm -hmm. if that's what it calls for. Um, And in that way, what a light that can be for the world. Yeah, and what's beautiful about that story is that kindness took someone from death to life. Mm. And we can resonate with that as followers of Jesus, that as we spread the love of Christ, as we show genuine, real kindness to the people around us, hopefully to those directly in our orbit at school and our colleagues, then we are participating in Jesus' work of bringing about new life in a place that otherwise might be pretty dark. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's fascinating how it's almost like everywhere you look, if you look closely enough, <laughs> you see the gospel mm-hmm. somewhere in it. So, and certainly that's important within our school systems. So, well, anything else before we, uh, before we wrap up? I don't think so. Just a thank you to the, to the educators at, at Lost River. So I don't get to do the, in the classroom work, but it is, it is noble, good work. And from, from a fellow educator, I'm going to pray for that balance for all of us that we can, we can have a real impact out in the community at our jobs, but then we are living well enough that we can take some of those um, capabilities and those giftings that we might have and bring them to bear here for our church family as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're all, we're praying for our educators, for students, for families, exciting time, lots of opportunities, lots of joys. I felt like we Mm -hmm. kind of focused on the, some of the negative things, but there's so much joy that comes 
with the start of a new school year. And as I've gotten to interact with the high school kids the past few uh, uh, church meetings, um, you know, I can see just their face lighting up with joy as they're making friends and getting to be reunited with all of them. Um, and so lots of joys, lots of good things, um, but we know that it's hard. And so we're certainly uh, praying, praying for everyone and hope that together as a church family, um, we can embrace that spirit of Sabbath and abide in God's love. So, Philip, thanks again for for joining uh, for another episode. Um, really, really appreciate it.